Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Who's glad to be in God's house this morning? (laughs) Oh, it's a good day. It's Sunday, first day of the week. We're ready to roll. How many of you love Sundays? They're my favorite day. We call Sunday game day at our house. So we're here. We're ready. We know what's coming this week. Holiday is coming. All of the holidays are starting. I started seeing wrapping paper in people's cars this week. I, I, have, uh, we, I have had 57 Thanksgiving feasts already at school this week. I, we, are, uh, we are full all the way in. We are engaged in the holidays. But how many of you know, for some people, that brings up really fantastic memories and really warm, cozy feelings. And for others, that brings up a lot of loss and pain and anxiety and excitement, but a little nervousness, like what could happen next? If you're from either one, mine or Brian's family, it's a little nervous because you just never know what you're going to get. It gets very exciting. And so I don't know if you have a family like mine or if you have that perfect family that gets together and you just all love each other for four generations and cousins, but if you had that family, today might not be your sermon at church. So I hope something in the worship blessed you. But I am going uh, to talk to you today uh, on a subject that's really uh, been a part of a huge part of my life and study as I've helped families walk through life as believers and as they've decided to make decisions for Christ and walked into different uh, places in their Christianity and their maturity in Jesus. And alongside that, have family dynamics that are in their life and their family. So this morning, I'm going to preach to you a sermon that I <laughs> like to title Company is coming. And that those two words are going to, whether you know who you are, just how you felt when I said those words, company is coming. You're like, oh, I'm so excited, pumpkin pie. Or you were like, oh, dear Jesus, help me. And there are two usually extremes to that. Some people are a little bit in the middle, but today we're going to talk about that. We're going to discuss it. We're going to get practical about the Word of God today. I'm going to help some of you walk through it. Some of you are going to leave here today. Your life is going to be completely transformed and changed because you're going to get a revelation of a little tidbit of something that helps you maneuver something that is going to help. And that is my prayer today. My kids and I were on the way to church this morning and we were praying, God, let someone leave empowered and changed to live their Christian faith out in public. How many of you know that is is what God has called us to do, to know him and then to make him known. And if we can do that in our everyday, there's something powerful about that. And so I just, I want to pray for you. I want to read the first uh, portion of scripture and then we'll get started this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy that's extended to us. Lord, thank you for bringing us into the family of God. 
Lord, thank you for adopting us into your family and bringing us into this family of faith that we sit in right now. Father, we sit in this dining room and we eat of the table of God this morning. The word of God, let it fill us, let it nourish us. Lord, let us put the word in us when we don't need it so it'll be there when we do need it. We thank you for your presence this morning, God. We ask that you would anoint the word, that my tongue would be the pen of a ready writer and that today we would leave change different than when we walked in, in Jesus' name. When I think about family, I think that it's supposed to look a lot like the first passage of scripture that I'm going to talk to you about today. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, in 1 Corinthians 13, some of you may recognize this. We're gonna talk out of two passages that are very well known today. 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. How many of you have ever been a clanging cymbal to somebody You're in your relationship to them? I have. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and I have not love, it profits me nothing. And then it says this, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity or filthy things, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes in all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. And that is how we see love because that, as Christians, because that is how we have seen love preached from Scripture. And I, it is absolutely the truth. It is the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 13. And so when we walk in to these holiday seasons and when we walk into relational situations, a lot of times as believers... We relate to that and we're thinking, if, we're, if we are mature in our faith at all, if we are responding to God talking to us at all, we're saying, do I love like that? Do, uh, love suffers long and it's kind. Do I suffer long with people? Am I kind? You're like, yeah, I've suffered long. It's been long, Jesse. I, I got that one down. Am I kind? We go through these steps and I think sometimes we like to put everyone in this equation. If you do this, this will happen. We like to tell people, if you follow 1 Corinthians 13, you will have a good result. The problem with that is that we are missing the other part of the equation, which is people, family, loved ones, not so loved ones that are blood related to us, that we've had to work through things with and relational issues with, and we've had to walk through these things with them. And so as believers, and even from the pulpit, I think there's been an er a little bit of an error because a lot of times we say, if you do this, you're gonna get this result. And we're like, okay, well, obviously I'm not doing this because I have never seen this result. And good people, get played by this equation because we have a heart to love people 
We have a desire to walk in love with people. And so we put our hearts and our souls and our lives out there and we say, this is who I am. I'm a person of love. I'm a Christian and I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this result. But what we don't take into the equation is that there are three kinds of people. There are people that know Jesus. There are people that don't know Jesus. So these people are forgiven but still being worked on, right? These people may even be good people that do all the good things. And believe you me, I just heard uh, Candace give the altar call. And I want to say today that if I never preach the gospel again, but I make a hundred of that person, then I will have died well. I'm telling you, Candace killed that, that today. I just want a hundred young people to know how to preach the gospel like that. I want us to raise people in this church that understand Jesus and his gospel and they're not afraid or ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that asks. I want every single young person that walks out of this church that goes onto that street that they would know how to give someone an opportunity to receive Jesus in three minutes or less. That is our goal. And you say, Jesse, why is that so important? They're not going to be full-time ministers or they're not. It's so vital because we are believers and there's a lost world out there that is waiting for us to encounter them. Did you know that in the next year, it is estimated that 50% of all pastors will walk out of their pulpits? 50% of our churches will be leaderless. We are having an, an epidemic right now, and we have got to get a grasp on that. And the only way we do it is to train, 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 and put passion into people about the gospel. That was incredible. So whenever I stand and I watch that, I'm, I'm looking, and I, and I know that we have people that have heard that message, and they're not perfect people. How many of you, after you knew Jesus, you still made huge mistakes relationally? I have made huge mistakes relationally. So it's not about being perfect, because you can have disagreements. Like, you can hate Santa, and I can love him, and we're, we can still be friends. That's the world we live in, okay? So that's like stuff we don't agree on. You can have personality quirks that aren't my favorite, and still love Jesus and be good to people. And I can say, you know what? They're kind of annoying, but I can eat dinner with them. Y'all just get nervous because you're not supposed to call people annoying. But how many of you know someone that's annoying? I mean, they just are. But they're precious. Like, they love Jesus. They're fine. They're going to heaven. They're not trying to hurt anybody. They're just quirky. How many of you are that person? No, don't raise your hand. And that's okay. You know, that's like being in junior high. You can't help being in junior high. You're just awkward. That there are some things in life that are just stages or personality things or preferences. That's not what we're talking about today. Because how many of you know, as mature believers, we can walk in love with people who have personality quirks and preferences and things of that nature. Not, that's not an issue. So when I say some of these things, I don't want you to think like they don't like the Dallas Cowboys and I do, so this is where we're going to like, I'm, I'm dying on this mountain. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't even like football. So you and I, we, we have to still be able to eat Thanksgiving together, okay? I like football when Justice plays football, but that's the only time I like football. So 
there are preferences and there are personalities and there are things, but these are Jesus people and it's their gr- it's our group. Like these are our people, right? No matter where we go on the earth, if I find someone that's a Jesus person, I know them. I know them. We know each other. Deep down, we know each other. And then there are people that are unsaved and they are my people. I love these people. They are broken and they are hurting and they need Jesus and I have him for them and I can lay it out on a platter so whenever I go into any situation including family situations people that are unsaved and uh, don't know Jesus yet but you know they still pay their taxes and they're not murdering anybody and they're like they're either what we what we call or refer to as good people but they're broken and they still have sin because they haven't received Christ to cover that sin and we all had it so I can relate to these people and the grace abounds for people that live in sin so I'm not even talking about those family members that you have that are just not born again yet there's a third kind of people that the Bible refers to and today I'd like to talk about them because no one refers to them and we don't like to talk about them it's uncomfortable to talk about them we're not sure where to put them at the table, who to seat them by. If you're from a fancy family that does place cards, which I am, they have, we, we have positions. Everybody's got their seat. And do you know why? Because mothers on both sides of our families want to control the dynamic at the table. That is why. So they seat everybody. You might want to try this. Maybe this is your moment. This is your revelation moment. So they seat them and they put them around and they, they try to, to funnel the, the dynamic in a certain direction because they're trying to fix everything. And do you know you can't fix everybody? But sometimes you're sitting here and you've got a broken person, an unsaved person, a saved person. But there is a third category that no one is comfortable with and we don't know what to do with them. But the Bible refers to them as wicked people. And this person uh, is becoming more prevalent as the years go on. We see them walking down the street. There's 20 some odd percent of people in the United States that actually are card carrying wicked people that do not have a conscience if they harm you. That absolutely do not care if your life is miserable as long as their life isn't. That have no ability to look and have empathy for someone's position, but instead they engage life from a me perspective at all times. And you will know this person by their fruit. Because whenever you engage this person, it is not like engaging a normal human being. No, no, no. Because normal people deal here, and this person's bar for themselves is here, but their bar for you is here. So when we deal with family, it's very important that we remember that God has given us dominion over our body, over our household. He has given you dominion over your children. But when you run into wicked people, you must engage appropriately. It's not the same as every other engagement. And you say, Jesse, they're family. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter. Yes. Oh, yes. It does matter because the fact that they're family gives them the right to play on your emotions. And so 1 Corinthians 13, you're playing by the rules, but this person doesn't have any. 
I'm setting somebody free today. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And others of you are like, my God, it's my sermon. I finally found it. This is the one. I've needed this for years. And if that's you, then I've come today for you. I am here for you. I want you to understand that you do not have to feel guilty because they are emotionally incapable of empathy. You do not have to lay your children at the altar of their, of their affection. You do not have to sacrifice your family's sanity because they cannot find peace. If you have a family member that walks in, looks around and says, this looks peaceful, I think I'll drop a bomb, and they just throw a grenade, that's who I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I've got, the, I know, I know that person. I know exactly who you're talking about. I want to talk to you today because 1 Corinthians 13, you need to follow that path and you need to follow that pattern and you need to walk in that love and you need to do that thing. But there are times in this life that you must war for the safety of your family. See, we are not peacekeepers. We are peace makers, right? Am I saying it the, the opposite way? Okay, sometimes when you talk a lot, you say things opposite. I'm okay. I, I've been wrong before. This would not be the first time. We are not peacemakers. We are not, thank you, Jordan. It's been a long week. We are not peacekeepers. We are peacemakers. And sometimes in order to make peace for the grand finale, we cannot keep peace today. Today we have to set boundaries. And any healthy person that is engaging you is going to say, oh, they set a boundary. Even if they don't like it, they're going to be like, that's their right. We'll do it. That's, that's a thing. Healthy families let boundaries be set and they're fine with it. If someone has a problem with boundaries, and I don't mean like, okay, we've got young people in our churches now, and I mock them because that's my job. So when they come to me and they say like, we just had a baby, and I'm just not okay, like they're still pregnant, okay, they're pregnant. We're about to have a baby, and we don't want anyone to touch them for one solid year. If my mom sticks ice cream in their mouth, I'm done with her. It's like... Yeah, right. You're going to want a babysitter in six months. <laughs> You're not going to care if six ice cream in their mouth. So suck that up. Uh, so I mock them. I'm like, okay, that's not a boundary. That's ridiculous. Okay. So we, we have to, and if that's your boundary, don't get offended right now. Okay. Like, you're, you, you still don't know how tired a human can get and want out. Like, you just don't, you just don't know yet. You just don't know how, and maybe your threshold's longer than mine. Maybe you'll last like a whole nine months and you'll be like, don't do it. Get back from the baby. Not me, man. I, I was raised in church. We had church babies. The minute Briley was born, I was like, what? Nursery? Sure. I tossed her. Like, People said, what? I've never seen a first-time mom like you. I'm like, Jesus is here. She's going to be good. Like, let your kids be loved on in the presence of God by people that love them. Don't hold your kids back. Make sure that you share your family so that, they, that your kids are always loved. I've never had trouble getting rid of my kids. People always want my kids. 
I have to hoard them to myself now. Like, no, I'm keeping them with me. Why? Because I've always taught my kids, like, when people are good, when people are holy, when people are righteous, when people have boundaries, when people are great, we share our lives with them. We open ourselves to them. But the moment that we're talking about something that is different, wicked, abusive, totally different world, because in that world, the door shuts. All access gets cut off to my family. You say, Jesse, is that scriptural? Absolutely, it's scriptural. Because God has called us to have dominion in our household. We are called by God to protect our family from anyone and everyone that would destroy them emotionally, physically, sexually, morally, in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We see in Scripture that God has a list of sins that upset him, that anger him. And it says not only do those who do these sins, not only are these people destroyed, but the people who approve of those who do. That's a game changer. Listen, it's a game changer because when you're looking at it, you're thinking, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be accepting. I'm going to allow. I'm going to, and then you have allowed it. You have approved of it and your children have watched it. And now they think it's normal. And now what do we have in our family? Now we have a familiar spirit that has been passed down to the next generation. Say, what is a familiar spirit? It is a spirit that dwells on people or in people that is familiar to you, which means you can't always detect it. This is a problem, and I've had this problem. People have had this problem. I remember in my family, there's a lot of women in my family who have sickness and disease and infirmity and hypochondria and all these things. And whenever I would go to family events, I would start feeling Sick. Do you know the Bible talks about Jezebel, who's a symbol of a manipulative woman, but it can also be a man. And it talks about Jezebel in this story, and it shows her as she is maneuvering everything in life, including totally manipulating the king, totally manipulating the people, getting her way. And in this story, Jezebel says this, or it says this about Jezebel. It says that Jezebel will not be happy to just have her way. She won't be happy until she takes you to your sick bed with her. And I found myself in family events and when I would leave that place completely physically depleted. I was like, Lord Jesus, what is this? Why do I feel this way? I'm strong. I'm courageous. I'm healthy. I have a great family. Brian's great. My kids are great. We live in peace. And then I show up to a funeral and I walk out totally different than the way that I walked in. And God gave me a revelation that I will never forget. He said, Jesse, that spirit is so familiar to you that you don't even know when it's coming on you. And you have not done what it takes to appropriately engage that family member. I said, well, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, you need to put on the whole armor of God, wherewith you will stand in the evil day. And I'm thinking, 
this is crazy. I just went to a family reunion. Why do I need to do this? How many of you think family reunion, picnic, it seems peaceful and like something you would want to go do. But for some of us, we're going into the war zone. We are walking into the biggest spiritual battle that we will have all year long. And everyone in the whole crowd thinks it's normal. I had a friend just the other day, healthy, whole, faith-filled, Jesus-loving, pastor's wife. And she called me on the way home from the fourth family member's funeral that she had had in like six months. Fourth. These people were dropping like flies with heart attacks, congestive heart failure, all of these sicknesses that were all in the heart. And none of them were Jesus-serving. She went to the funeral of her cousin who had just passed away. Totally mourning, emotionally depleted. She loved this woman. The Bible says that the devil will look for a more opportune time. So strong and faith-filled and walking in, she goes in, she leaves the funeral and she's driving five hours back home and her entire chest just starts feeling like she's having a heart attack. She starts totally like... I mean, her chest is so tight and she's so scared to stop because she's in such a tiny town. She doesn't want to go to the hospital there. So she calls me on the phone and she's saying, Jesse, something's wrong. Jesse, something is wrong. I'm having a heart attack. I know I'm having a heart attack. And all of a sudden from my spirit, I heard God remind me of this. I said, no, 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 no. No, it's just that all of those people have put up with that familiar spirit for years and years and years and it's killed a ton of them. And now that spirit is looking for a place to reside and you were emotionally and spiritually depleted and you walked in without your armor on and now you've left with something trying to attach itself to you. So you and I are going to curse it right now. We're going to break its hold and you're not going to do this again. You're never walking into a family event like that again. She said, that's it. You're right. We began to pray. I said, let me tell you something, you spirit of death, you spirit of heart disease. And listen, I'm not saying everyone that has heart disease has a spirit. I'm saying this family had a spirit of illness and heart failure because they allowed that thing in their life and they talked about it and they loved it and they embraced it and they wanted it and they ate until they got it and it was all around them and they were being attacked because they had allowed this thing in their life. And she said to me, you're right. So I said, can I pray for you? She said, do it now. I mean, she was terrified. And I began to pray and bind that spirit and tell it that it didn't get to dwell around her any longer. And as soon as we began to pray, that thing lifted off her all pain left, and she hasn't had any more symptoms of that since that day. She said to me, Jesse, you have to share this with people. I've never heard anyone say that. I didn't know that I had to prepare for a battle when I was going to a funeral. I said, oh, sister, let me tell you, every funeral is a spiritual battle because something if that person is not dwelling in God, even if they're just an unsaved person, but especially if they were a wicked person, is looking to attach itself to someone else in that family that doesn't see it coming because it's so familiar they can't even sense it. Sometimes I don't respond to strife like I should. 
My kids will stri- have strife among them, and I don't, I don't react. I get so used to it. It becomes familiar. Do you know strife in your household? The Bible says that where strife abounds, so does every evil thing. That means that if there's a person that comes into your house that brings strife with them, you should put them out of your house. Sometimes that person is justice. And so my friend taught me something. It was brilliant. She's such a good little mama. And she said, when my kids start fighting, I say, you can do whatever you want to do, but you cannot do it in this house. So she puts them out on the porch. So the other day, my kid, I heard this. I'm like, this is brilliant. Listen, you need to invoke this in the Thanksgiving dinner. Like, okay, everybody, we're all going to dwell in unity today. But if you can't, that's okay. We, have a, we actually have a table with one chair out on the porch. And we would love for you to stay, but you're going to have to stay outside because we don't have strife in this house. See, you don't have to be ugly. You just have to be strong. So sometimes when my kids are fighting now, I say, oh, you want to fight? You want to fight with each other? Oh, that's great. Yeah, you can do that outside. We don't do that in this house. Listen, sometimes they need to put me on the porch. I hope Brian doesn't hear this sermon. See, I'm training them that they don't get to control everyone with their emotions. Just because you're having an emotional outburst doesn't mean you get to change the atmosphere of our house. And if I train my children in that, then I must also uphold it whenever I'm in other places. And I can't control everyone. So sometimes we have to leave that event in strength. So when we walk in, if we choose to go and we've put on the full armor of God and we walk into that event, even if it's a funeral and we're dead center and nobody can act right. And I know your family acts right in funerals, but my family can get in a fight in the middle of the funeral. So the minute it goes south, the Gibsons get up and we take our leave. Just go to our car and drive home to our peace place. You don't have to let someone's emotional outburst control your future. You do not have to train your children that if they are unhappy, that they get to have an outburst and change the environment of a house. You do not have to let your 14-year-old determine your day. Sometimes we get so used to it because it is familiar, and sometimes your 14-year-old has it because you have it. So when I see my children engaging in certain activity day after day after day, I go, I think I may have a problem. They learned this somewhere. And I have to turn that vision inward. Today I want to talk to you about this because some people will never turn the vision inward. As healthy family and friends, we turn the vision inward. Did I do that? Am I walking in love? Am I being long-suffering? Am I being kind? Do I love it whenever people have good things? Do I love righteousness or do I love iniquity? I've got to investigate. I have to look in my heart and say, I did wrong. Will you please forgive me? I need to repent. But some of you have a family member that you have never heard repent. They will not turn. They will not say they're sorry. And you say, Jesse, we just have to love and forgive them. Listen, I deal with this with families all of the time. Sexual abuse of their children. 
And they will say, but they got right with God, so it's time for us to forgive and let them come back in. And people use spiritual manipulation to come back into families and to wreak havoc for generations. Well, I gave my heart to Jesus, so you just have to forgive me and I get to come back in. Listen, forgiveness does not mean that you get to come back in the house. And let me ask you a question while we're at it. When does God forgive you? I'm open. Any answers are good answers. When does God forgive you, Pastor Jordan? When does he forgive you? When you repent. I'm just going to let that sink in. God forgave you when you repented. What is repentance? To turn away and to walk another direction and live another life. And yet, we put all the weight on the victim and none of the weight on the abuser. We allow generational abuse in our households under the guise of Jesus' love and forgiveness as Christians. And God is looking down saying, when will they stand for the next generation? When will they say, no, we're not going to allow this abuse in our house? When will they stand and say, hey, wait a second, my kids are getting off on the exit of sanity. We're not going down crazy train road anymore. When will you stand at the exit ramp of your family and say, hey, I'm right here. Come on, nieces and nephews. We're getting off on the Jesus exit. Let's go. We're not going to stand for that anymore. That is not normal. That is not normal. That is not normal. You say, Jesse, I can't say that to them. That's their grandpa or that's their aunt. That they're... Hey, if we allow abuse, it will be allowed. If you allow abuse, it will abound. Because the, abuse, the abuser won't stop themselves. It will never happen. They will never feel guilty. They will never feel shame. They will never stop. They will never do away with it. It must be men and women that take dominion over their house and family. And I've watched in my family as nieces and nephews, cousins, have come off the ramp as I've said, hey, you don't have to live in abuse. We can go this way. Hey, everything just broke loose. You and I, we can go out the door, get in our car and take off. And they're like, we can. And I'm like, we're 40. We're 40. You say, what does that have to do with anything? I'm a grown adult woman, which means that in heaven, I will stand before the throne room of God and he will ask me what I did with my children. He will ask me if I allowed them to be abused and manipulated or if I stood for them firm in faith, believing that God could change their life forever and the destiny and the trajectory of our legacy. He will ask Brian how he took care of me and how he took care of our kids. He will ask you what you did with yours. You can't control everyone but you can't control the one. I wanna to read to you out of Ephesians 6, 
And then I'll end today. I don't think that this is on accident what God did. Starts out, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And I think this is where a lot of times as Christians we go wrong. Because we say, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But do you know that you are not always a child? That when you become a man and woman, then it says to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And so all throughout Christian history, we've just been like, you just have to honor them. You just have to, by honor, we just say, you just have to let them act any way they want to. If your grandma or grandpa wants to act that way, they just get to do whatever they want to. We just honor them. And listen, I'm an honor girl. Honor up, honor down, honor all the way around. I'm going to honor my mom and dad, my grandma and grandpa, but I'm also going to honor my children. I'm going to honor Brian. I'm going to honor my own body. I am going to honor people around me. Why? Because when we honor things, they see the value in themselves. And God's able to show them the view that he sees of them. I did a year-long study on honoring your mother and father, which is the first commandment with promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth because I had so many people asking me this question. How do I honor someone who isn't honorable? We honor them because we're people of honor, not because they're people of honor. But what does honor look like? Well, in the ancient Near East, it looked like you moved in with them and a lot of other things that nobody does in America, but we always act like if they want to do something, then we just have to let them do whatever they want because that's honor. We just let them do. But let me tell you something. When you're dealing with an evil person, a wicked person that has no conscience, that's a very difficult thing to understand and, and regulate with Scripture. So I went on a year-long journey studying it because I said, God, I want to know what your heart is on this. I need to know that I'm teaching people and training people to live right. I don't want these people to have a lessened life, less days than they should because I didn't teach them properly when they asked me the question. And as I studied, I realized one thing, that this command was given to all believers so that Jesus Christ would be known to all the world. Because without honoring your parents, the story wouldn't have been told. And without Jesus being passed from generation to generation, we would have never seen Christianity today from 2,000 years ago. And so God instated in this world a, a law of honor because he was looking to pass Jesus from generation to generation to generation, not because he was looking to pass abuse from generation to generation to generation. And so I said, God, how do people honor people when they are wicked people that are doing nothing good and they're harmful to everyone around them? And as I studied, I realized that the best way to honor your father and mother is to teach your kids about Jesus, to live for Jesus yourself. Every chance you get, tell someone else about Jesus. Preach the gospel every chance you get. Do something that makes a difference in the world for the gospel. And when you do that, you are honoring your father and mother. You say, my parents don't give a rip about the gospel. It doesn't matter. When you live for the gospel, you honor their name. When you preach Jesus, you honor their name. When you raise Christians, you honor their name. Whenever you do right, you honor their name. But when you pass abuse, you degrade your family legacy.
So God's asked us as believers to do something a little different, to pick it up, to honor our father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with us, that we may live long on the earth. And if you skip down to verse 10 through 16, I'll let you read it yourself. I don't think they're in the same chapter on accident. It says, finally, my brethren, it's talking about all these relationships and how we should respond and what we should do. And then it says, finally, my brethren, put on the full armor of God. Put on your helmet of salvation. Put on your shield of faith. Take out your sword of the spirit. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. It's incredible that this is in the same passage. It's important that it's in the same passage. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Listen to me, company is coming. It is time to put your armor on. It is time to raise up the shield of faith. It is time to shod your feet with peace at all costs. Peace at all costs. Peace at all costs. But Jesse, we're going to have to make our own turkey. Peace at all costs. Jesse, I'm going to have to ask them to sit at the table on the porch. Peace at all costs. I am going to have to stand up to my mother. I've never said anything to her. And she is going to torture me for six months. No, she's not. Because the only way she can torture you is if you allow that emotion to change your atmosphere. And you may not get it right this year because you're going to practice. But over the next five years, you can grow in understanding how to stand for your family. And God will change your heart. And then you will know when I walk into this atmosphere, I'm coming in with the full armor of God. And with the minute that you cannot dwell in peace, you don't have to dwell in chaos or fighting. You just have to say, it has been so good to see all of you today. Come on, kids. It's time to go home. But mommy, we haven't eaten yet. I know Burger King's open on Thanksgiving. Let's go. Do you want a perfect picture or do you want a peaceful home? You have to choose. Some of you get to have both and I love that for you. But others of us have to choose. And I want you to know today that you are not alone. Some of you are sitting here today saying, man, I lost someone this year. I'd do anything to get to sit with them, even if they were chaotic. Everybody becomes a saint when we lose them. And I wish that I could preach a message about that today, but in my heart, I felt convicted that today was the day to help people get out of the mess, to help your children know a place of peace, to help your children know that mom and dad are going to protect me at all costs from every evil thing. And if it means eating Burger King on Thanksgiving, I'll give up the postcard and take peace any day. Let me pray for you today. I want you to stand up on your feet. If you'd say, Jesse, I need you to pray for me. I know I'm a, I'm a little over right now, but I think we need to pray. Jesse, I need you to pray for me. You can bow your head and close your eyes today. Jesse, I need that in my life. I need to know. Please pray for me today. Lift your hand to heaven today. God's going to help you. He's going to give you strength. Right now, I just 
speak peace. I speak understanding. I speak love. I speak grace. I speak mercy over every hand that's lifted right now. Lord, you're teaching these people to dwell in strength and not in abuse. And today, Father, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy that you were so good. You knew these people would be here, God, and you sent a message just for them. So today, Father, I ask that you would strengthen them Give them a spine in the spirit to stand for themselves and to stand for those that they love. Lord, they don't have to be verbal. They just have to dwell in peace. So today, God, I ask you that you would strengthen them, that you would bless them, that you would help them, that you would lead them, that you would guide them, and that your Holy Spirit would be ever present to help them in their time of need. In Jesus' mighty name name we pray if you receive it today just say amen amen we love you guys